Hello and welcome to another episode of A Dash of Science. I'm your host, Chris. This week we're doing part two of our Nikola Tesla bio. I'll chat with Kerry about conflicts between Tesla and Edison, his work in wireless light and radio, and his world wireless system, among other things. So sit back, relax, and enjoy A Dash of Science. Hey, hello, citizen scientists. Welcome back. Hope the wait for part two wasn't too bad. Some fun news. I met up on Skype today with Andrew and Amber from Into the Portal podcast, talking a little bit about a collaboration possibility in the future. And it looks like we have a great idea. So keep listening in the future for more information on that. We kind of spitballed a couple of ideas back and forth. And I think we have a really fun one that will bridge the gap between our scientific content and their content dedicated to the weird, mysterious, and strange. Also, make sure you check them out if you get an opportunity uh, into the portal podcast. Uh, I've listened to a couple episodes. It's really entertaining. Uh, also still trying to work schedule issues with our new editor. So this week's just me editing again. Hopefully, uh, that doesn't disappoint y'all. Uh, but we should be back to our regular Sunday night release soon. So just hold tight. Also have some fun episodes coming up. I think after we finish up the Tesla episode, we'll be doing one on the U.S. medical industry and the trend for medical doctors in the States to develop over-the-counter products to sell kind of on the side. So that'll be interesting. Uh, one more quick thing before we get back to Tesla. If you liked this content, this sort of narrative bio and want to hear more, uh, let me know at chris at dashofscience.com. Feel free to even suggest another scientist or engineer you think you'd be interested in hearing uh, an episode dedicated to. But that's enough for me right now. So let's get back to my conversation with Carrie and part two of the eccentric Nikola Tesla. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is part two of the eccentric Nikola Tesla. Uh, I'm joined today again with Carrie. How are you doing, Carrie? Doing good. I'm excited for part two. Part two. All right. Uh, I don't remember where we left off exactly, other than we were just getting ready to get into the big Edison versus Tesla debolical slash war slash slightly agitated uh, demeanor. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. I'm hoping for a fist fight. I, maybe if there is a fist fight, I don't know about it, but I, we <sighs> can pretend there it. was one. You ruined it. Now I don't even <laughs> want to wait. That would be because every time I see a picture of Nikola Tesla, it really just reminds me of the old timey like boxing, like uh, Gangs of New York. You remember that movie? Like the Spursberry rules or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I just feel like he he. Uh, based off of his picture and not his personality, I feel like he should do that, like fish hook somebody. I think he's that's quite possible. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, we get back and we start with the Chicago World's Fair. Uh, one of the major centerpieces would be the electrification of the main site with thousands of light bulbs. Uh, this was named the Columbus Exposition uh, as the celebration of the 400th anniversary of the discovery of America by Christopher Columbus. Oh, I was going to say, I have no idea what Christopher Columbus has to do with electricity. Nope, nope. Well, I don't know what he had to do with discovering America either, but this is the 1800s and that's just what they did. <laughs> that's what they thought. <laughs> but uh, so interestingly enough, they actually had to put this off for a year. So it was really the anniversary of the 401st. <laughs> Here. Well, that's pretty sad. Yeah, apparently they 
you know, back in the eight, late 1800s, they could only do so many uh, big events per year, and last year was election, so... <laughs> why can they only do so many? I don't know. I'm just coming up with reasons on why they would have had to, to push it back a year. Uh, like the people were spent from going guess, to the fair? I guess. only... Everybody had to get in their buggies and go down to the community center. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I have no idea why they had to, other than that was the reason given, was it was an election year last year, so... But, I mean, it is a world's fair. It is a big, huge event, right? It's not just, like, a little fair. Yeah, well, that still seems very strange. But, anyways, that was, uh, as my new term that I'm really enjoying, knowledge noodle. That was my knowledge noodle for uh, section one of part two of Nikola Tesla. (laughs) Anyways, so the bidding on the contract uh, to see who would light up those uh, light bulbs for the main attraction was very heated, to say. Uh, on one side, you've got the merger of Edison Electric and the Thomas Houston Electric Company, forming the new named General Electric, which I'm sure you're familiar oh, with. Gee. That's a thing that exists today. Uh, and they were bidding their DC system, uh, assuming that they had a monopoly in the field and it was going to be an easy win. Uh, on the other side, uh, it was the Westinghouse Company, which we heard a little bit about last time, uh, with Tesla's alternating current system. Westinghouse and Tesla won out. Uh, which is, you know, history. We know that. It wasn't a spoiler or anything. But uh, (laughs) it was at this time that Edison kind of pushed around all sorts of crazy claims about how AC wasn't stable. Uh, It was dangerous, saying things like DC is a peaceful stream while AC is a raging river. Is any of that actually true? Uh, Yeah. Sort of. I mean, it really comes down to a balance of current and voltage, if that makes sense. I can see what you're saying, I, I think, but uh, I mean, really, AC is not any more dangerous than DC. So the part that was kind of dangerous about uh, AC is that you're doing this current in, you know, a large amount of voltage. I guess when we kind of talked about like how electricity was kind of like uh, like water, right? Voltage is like your volume uh, and current is like your pressure so to speak so if you have a large voltage over a short amount of time that's one thing if you have a large voltage over a much longer amount of time you know at a certain pressure it's kind of hard to explain but there are ways to do ac safely and there are ways to do it dangerously that makes sense and at that time were they doing it safely Oh, yeah. Well, as safe as they could at that time. There were some issues that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but for the most part, it was playing on the public's fear of getting electrocuted. Well, that's a pretty scary fear. It is. And Edison kind of had a lot of pull at a lot of the newspapers, so he did a lot of negative stories. Uh, He even set up the electrocution of an elephant with AC power, and instead of calling it electrocuted, he called it being Westinghoused. Wow, that's pretty low. <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't sound too different than things that people are doing today, but, you know, whatever. We don't electrify elephants. I mean, the, the mudslinging. <laughs> I bet you that there are people in, in politics and in big business who would absolutely electrocute an elephant if the public was okay with those sorts of acts today. <laughs> so the, the Chicago World's Fair was kind of a big deal because it was going to be the first public demonstration of Tesla's polyphase AC system. Uh, and if it was successful, it would be the beginning of pretty much a big lucrative time for both uh, Tesla and Westinghouse. And Edison obviously wasn't happy about losing out on the opportunity. So as retribution, uh, Edison refused to allow them permission to produce his light bulbs for the show. So they had to produce something like 250,000 modified Sawyer Man bulbs 
which is a, a kind of inferior bulb. It still worked, but you know, it got the job done, but it just was extra time that they had to put forth towards doing things instead of just using this bulb that already existed. It's pretty low. I mean, what kind of shady practices were going on here? All the shady practices. They were really pissed off about this. Like I said, this was pretty heated. It was it electrifying? It was electrifying. <laughs> but yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the site was successful. Uh, they had like 27 million visitors. The fair included many demonstrations of AC, so it had like the motors, the armatures, the generators, uh, phosphorescent signs, demonstration of passing 1 million volts through Tesla's body, which amazed everyone. That's amazing to yes. still. <laughs> uh, Was that done in like with a Tesla coil and a Faraday cage and all that stuff, or did they do... Yeah, I mean, the same the same kind of concept, yeah. Essentially showing how... is essentially his, uh, I guess, rebuttal to the conversation about how it wasn't safe. But, yeah, uh, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, and Edison, of course, had his own inventions on display. He had his early projectors, phonograph, uh, telegraph, and then he made just this huge, huge, tall tower of light for General Electric at the center of the uh, exhibition room where all the electricity stuff was at. Just dominated the area physically. But uh, when the lights came on for the main event, AC pretty much won out. That was it. That was all she wrote. There wasn't... Uh, a lot of debate on if it could be done anymore after that. There was still a fight between us and Tesla, mind you, but the question on whether or not it could work on that scale was pretty much put to bed. That's great. Yep. So after the World Fair, the next big thing that came up was Niagara Falls in 1895. So you know there's a power station at Niagara Falls. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Yep. uh, So Tesla apparently, according to his own works as usual, uh, had long dreamed of harnessing the energy from the water turbine uh, at Niagara Falls for electric power generation. And after the success success of World Fair, uh, Westinghouse was like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? Why wouldn't you do it? So, uh, DC had been used previously to light up the local villages and mines, but the issues with transmitting DC were, you know, well known at the parent, well known at the time. They're pretty apparent with the not being able to travel very far. Uh, so the Cataract Construction Company put out a competition for the best design to harness the power, the twenty thousand dollar reward. That's a lot in that yes, time. Th- yes, it was. So this company was actually run by a former Edison board member. Uh, so when Tesla and Westinghouse won the contest and the contract, it was kind of a big slap in the face to Edison again, whose own General Electric, uh, lost out on the bid. They did win the bid for building the transmission lines. It's kind of like a a secondary prize. It's a consolation prize. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, you didn't get the main thing, but here you can hang up these wires. (laughs) Wow. That sounds like a kick in the shorts yes definitely but uh so system was completed in 1895 produced about 15,000 horsepower largest generator ever built at that time and then there was further work done to boost the output to 50,000 horsepower and transmitted power all over the falls in the buffalo area so that's pretty cool Actually, I had no idea that it was up there. I thought all that was for was like tourist attractions and riding barrels over. <laughs> uh, definitely more power going on than barrels, but you know. <laughs> I think they put a stop to the barrels. Uh, I'm not sure it was ever actually allowed. I think it just happened, didn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what drives someone to want to ride a barrel over falls. I don't know. It's that uh, the same thing that all daredevils have, I guess. The adrenaline fix, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, so during the end of the project at Niagara Falls, uh, kind of a huge disaster struck. 
Uh, Yes, Tesla, who was on the verge of major demonstrations for his wireless power, uh, had his lab burned down with all of his inventions, experiments, notebooks, and it was a major setback for Tesla. Oh my God, was it Edison? (laughs) You know, I never read what the cause of it was, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's about the right time, right? (laughs) Yeah, that would be like sneaking in and lighting your enemies stuff on fire yeah so we'll kind of hit hit a little bit more on this fire later but that's just kind of timeline that happened so he he got a major setback this is kind of where the i guess fight between him and edison really kind of just got detailed and horrific but uh edison at the time was kind of the man right before tesla came on he was a prolific inventor uh major backer and distributor for dc power uh, and now, out of nowhere, this upstart who used to work for him teams up with basically his arch nemesis, that being Westinghouse, and beats him out of both the Chicago World Fair and the Niagara Falls contract. So, as you can imagine, he's not a very happy person. Uh, meanwhile, Edison is kind of fuming over his defeat. Westinghouse and Tesla invented a new meter for distribution so they could sell AC power, as well as an AC motor to turn that current into power, which uh, he ended up receiving five more patents for. I guess Tesla got something like 137, 140, somewhere in their patents over the course of his life. Well, he had to make up for all the ones he missed out on early on. Well, that's what I'm saying, and that's just the ones that either himself or somebody forced him into actually turning in for patents, right? That's pretty crazy. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I I don't have a single patent at all, so... Yeah, I don't don't think I've ever come Uh, up with something that... No one else has come up with before. To be fair, I think it's a lot harder now than it was then. That's probably true. (laughs) But uh, shortly after this, an English engineer, Charles Parson, invented the steam turbine, which was really highly efficient uh, producer of electricity. So that combined with Tesla's AC transformer kind of made producing power and transmitting over long distances super easy and efficient, uh, which are both issues that the DC system uh, had major problems with, right? You know what the problem is? He named it DC. It's just like Marvel in DC. Like you just can't. DC can't win. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you want to step in that. You just, you just. Uh... I did step in it, but Harley <laughs> Quinn is like my favorite character, so I should probably keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, pre-Suicide Squad, right? Oh yes, pre-Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. So DC system had his issue, had the issues that they had, but uh, Edison couldn't compete with the technology, so he kind of reverted to dirty tactics. Uh, he sent out pamphlets, not only to the media, but to companies who were considering purchasing the AC systems. Uh, they made all sorts of crazy claims, like patent violations, and it was basically like, hey, if you go with this system, you're not going to have a supplier after he loses my patent lawsuit. <laughs> That's pretty dirty. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to say, when did we stop sending out pamphlets? Uh, I mean, we still get them in the mail, basically. Yeah, but not really. Like, you never see a pamphlet from Edison telling you Tesla's a croc. Like, yeah, we they're... don't get that sort of stuff anymore. Oh, we do during elections. <laughs> yeah, it's all on the TV now, though, yeah, I think. In radio. It's all on the TV. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Them whippersnappers. Back in my day, we had pamphlets. <laughs> wanted to talk crap, you had to print yeah. that stuff first. And if you had too much to say, you had to print both sides. <laughs> You're like, this is pamphlet part two. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, in his pamphlets, you know, he went back to pushing the, the idea that AC was more dangerous. And uh, it started debates in, in the major science engineering societies on whether or not it really was dangerous. While most of this fight was kind of between academics and professionals and journals and societies, the public, uh, which had to walk through cities that are 
becoming more and more crowded with electrical wires, had a genuine fear of being electrocuted because it's something that kind of already occurred occasionally, and there was a fear that it would happen more often. Because at the time, they didn't use shielded wires. They were just naked wires, like, hung across the street. <laughs> did they leave them on the ground, or did no, they bury them in? The air, in or? But, you know, you have problems with them falling, and the biggest issue was people who were sent out to repair them. But, oh, uh, boy. Yeah, so Edison took advantage of this by pushing the idea that higher voltage is more dangerous and attempted to get the state to ban AC as dangerous, and that would give him a complete control and monopoly with his DC system. That's pretty messed up. Yes, it is. He's uh, a really crappy person. Like, I never would have guessed that Edison was such a jerk. <laughs> At least when it comes down to this, absolutely. I don't know about the rest of his life, you know. Who knows? He's older now, but... It's hard to be that mean and not... Like, I don't know. He's... I think it comes down to really at the beginning two things. You have, you've you've already put in all of this money into the system. You're well into it. If it doesn't work, like that's a major hit, possibly not even recoverable, right? Yeah, but he's like one of the smartest people who ever lived. Like he invented everything. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he could have just taken his little patents from all of his little inventions <laughs> and best been a happy little camper. But yeah. no, he had to go shovel mud. All over poor Tesla. Well, if it makes you feel any better, he wasn't by himself in doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's better to shovel crap yeah. in groups. <laughs> so helping him with this, well, first of all, the biggest help to this, honestly, was accidents resulting uh, in the electrocution of the repairman, like I just talked about. So their job was basically to climb towers, cut through the dead unshielded wires, and replace them. Problem was, is they weren't always actually dead when they went to cut through them. I was just thinking that, yeah. poor guys. So the biggest push was the death of John. Feeks in 1889. Uh, so he accidentally touched a hot wire, uh, and that wasn't the problem. That shot him into a web of a bunch of hot wires that was below him, where he was basically electrocuted for about 45 minutes. Oh, <laughs> Sparks man. coming out of his nose, mouth, hands, uh, feet, all in front of pedestrians on the street. That's pretty intense. Yes. So that is a statement. <laughs> it is. But wouldn't the same thing happen with DC? Like, don't they have life wires also? Well, the problem or the thing with DC is they, at the time, they couldn't be, they couldn't pass voltages that high. Right? Oh, okay. All right. So since the accidental deaths, uh, even some of the more horrifying ones... Uh, they still weren't enough to convince the public or the state to ban AC. There was a lot of talk, a lot of fear, but it never quite got to that point. So more drastic measures were needed. Enter the electric chair. Uh-oh. Yes. Old Sparky. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? Oh yeah, that was a sweet, sweet promo from Into the Portal. Make sure you check it out. Great stuff. It's huge, terrific, goodly. All right, that's enough of that. 
Let's get back to the discussion and learn about the crazy backstory of old Sparky and the horrendous first execution in which Edison thought they would kill not only a criminal, but AC power at the same time. So if accidental deaths weren't enough, then how about deliberate ones? Yeah, but people really like to kill people, I think. It is true, but you gotta remember, this is a time where electricity is new, right? So, mm-hmm. like, not only is AC so dangerous, we can now use it deliberately to execute criminals because it's so dangerous. So, the mayor of New York was looking for new and more humane, and less, his words, <laughs> dark agey uh, ways of executing people. So, oh, Edison picked up his buddy Harold Brown. Uh, and figured that high voltage JC would make a great death chair. Uh, That's <laughs> so, pretty good. So they did, and it did. <laughs> so the electric chair was literally just Edison's giant fu back at Tesla and Westinghouse. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and it's been here ever since. So June fourth, nineteen eighty eight, electrocution became the official method of execution in New York. The first state to use it with the electric chair in nineteen eighty eight. Sorry, eighteen eighty eight, not nineteen eighty eight. I was gonna say, man, I was alive when that happened. <laughs> nope, that was eight. That was a uh, hundred years before when I just said it was. <laughs> But uh, it, so Brown was actually the other guy that I was alluding to earlier that was helping Edison. So he was being paid by the Edison company to go out and deliberately injure the reputation of Westinghouse and Tesla, you know, just planting like false information, sending out these pamphlets. And when the media came and talked to him about it, like, hey, uh, so what's your relationship with Edison? He's like, oh, I don't know Edison. I'm just, you know, I'm just a dude, whatever. Wow. <laughs> so, it's hard to track in those days, though. Well, Apparently not, because the media pretty much ferreted it out and figured it all out within a couple of months, posted uh, articles about it all over the place, and so that kind of was, that kind of did not help Edison much. How did he keep his head above water with all this nasty stuff going on? Like, was he still inventing at this time, or? Are you talking financially or socially? Uh, Both. Well, financially, he's still pretty rich. He's got a lot of different, I mean, he's got his hands in a lot of different stuff, and his DC stuff, he is still selling stuff, both in the States and over in Europe, right? He hasn't completely lost all that yet. Oh, <laughs> and this is also the that elephant that I was talking about earlier. So Edison staged that electrocution. Uh, it was a bad-tempered elephant named Topsy, and it was at a local park. Like, they did it, like, out in public. Uh, they even filmed it so they could play it over and over again. Yeah, that's messed uh, up. And then apparently in the testing of like for the electric chair they would be they would like pick up stray dogs and test it out on them so they killed like hundreds of stray dogs with this oh, just for the purposes ruthless. of well i mean it is but you also have to consider the time frame too like we did not have the i guess the belief systems that we do now about animals and rights and cruelty and whatnot like yeah. it doesn't mean that it's not cruel but it just didn't occur to most people then like cruelty to animals was still a new thing in fact one of the people that was voting on whether or not to use the electric chair uh, as a death penalty was actually questioning its uh, how humane it was. That person was actually on the board of a newly uh, formed committee on animal cruelty. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so apparently it took a personal letter from Edison to this, this chair member to convince them that, no, it was totally good and they should do it. Hmm. Yeah, but Edison having assured the New York government that the electrocution would be quick and painless kind of got more than he was bargaining for when the first electrocution was botched. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes, so 
on the first electrocution, they passed 1,000 volts for 17 seconds and then pronounced the man dead. Uh, and then shortly after, he started breathing, gasping, and screaming. <laughs> so they're like, well, if this didn't work at 1,000 volts for 17 seconds, we should gradually increase it slowly, right? Where did that idea no, come from? No, that's not what they did. They did it uh, as much as they could possibly pass through uh, for about two minutes. Like, it's the smell of burning flesh and, and oh, just a gross and disgustingness everywhere. But in spite of all those dirty tactics and publicity, uh, obviously AC still went out because that's kind of the standard for households today in the United States. Uh, they went on to replace uh, all the generation and distribution power centers. So there you go. So now hold on. Is DC still used in other countries? Um, I think DC, high voltage DC, is going back to being used in some other countries. Uh, I think we talked about last time a little bit with some of the, the high voltage DC stuff. But it's still more expensive and still not quite as dependable as AC. So n I would say that nobody continued using it that I'm aware of. But we are kind of going back to that a little bit in some places. Interesting. Yeah. But you already uh, can't plug your cell phone in in a foreign country. Now you're going to have the wrong power running <laughs> around for the rest of your stuff. Yep. But uh, so that was the big, huge uh, fight between Tesla and Edison. I was still waiting for like uh, like Bridget Jones' diary style fighting. That's what I was waiting oh, for. Oh, sorry. After AC went out, uh, Edison tried to punch Tesla, but Tesla cocked him in the face. Yes. That's uh, not true. Oh. Well, it could be true, but I don't I don't know that it is or isn't true. How about that? <laughs> you know, when we started this, I wasn't really rooting for anyone. And now that Edison's kind of a jerk, I'm rooting for Tesla. Oh, we'll fix that later. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so after kind of the AC stuff, I guess maybe during the end of it, I mean, Tesla was, like I said, he's a prolific inventor. He, did, he was into lots of things. So he started his research into wireless transfer uh, of radio. I think it was as far back as 1891. He spoke about it in his lectures in Paris and London. Uh, he built the first radio transmitter, which he demonstrated in like 1893. He gave a lecture with his wireless technology so he wasn't there that his his lecture on wireless technology was through this wireless transmitter that he made that's pretty dope so he was he's got style room. he does he actually becomes quite the showman uh over on for somebody who's just so antisocial later in life he actually uh he had a lot of charisma when he wanted to interesting but, uh, uh, you don't see it in him and later on no you don't uh but many people had a hand uh, but Tesla provided the practical applications and the fundamental principles of wireless technology. But uh, you remember that fire that took all of his stuff when he was working on the Niagara Falls things? The one I'm pretty sure Edison yes. set? <laughs> the one we have no proof but are, but feel like Edison set, yes. <laughs> like allegedly set. We don't want Edison coming back from the grave and suing us. That's <laughs> uh, so that ended uh, his work in the radio and he kind of scrambled to get a new laboratory and resources. Ended up moving to Colorado for a while, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but uh, he was on his way, but he was kind of becoming preoccupied with other ideas. But uh, radio technology did not stay dormant while he was distracted. Italian engineer, I'm going to call him Guglielmo. Guglielmo? <laughs> Guglielmo. <laughs> uh, Marconi is his last name, but I don't know his first name. It's, it's Guglielmo. <laughs> but uh, he picked up Tesla's ideas and kind of began developing wireless communications also. And by the end of 1895, he set distance records of radio transmissions a mile 
uh, and then he went public with his stuff. But people that were in the field recognized it as Tesla's work. Um, Marconi denied it, though. Uh, a year later, he received a British patent for the technology. Uh, Tesla didn't really respond at first, thinking that, you know, it was just kind of whatever, and Tesla's work was, was coming along, and he thought, you know, he just went out in the end. But uh, Tesla went on to demonstrate a remote control boat with uh, and wireless uh, telegraphy and other major feats. But apparently it was more impressive that Marconi transmitted the Morse code for the letter S from Cornwall, England to Newfoundland. How far is that? Uh, well, it's transatlantic, right? Newfoundland's in Canada uh, and Cornwall's in England. So far. Okay. <laughs> but, I'll take far. But for me, like if you trans, if you transfer one letter from Morse code S really, really far versus tesla was remote controlling a boat <laughs> yeah that's pretty impressive like we're not even in the 1900s right yet. exactly so uh when everybody was very excited about the transfer of the letter s uh marconi ended up winning the nobel prize for physics in 1909 for the invention uh tesla's response was mr marconi is a donkey <laughs> i was gonna say is it uh Oh, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> All right. Well, it probably wasn't as good as Mr. Marconi is a donkey. <laughs> probably not. But uh, in, in 1915, Tesla actually ended up filing a lawsuit for patent infringement. Uh, his goal was to essentially get the courts to rule that Marconi couldn't claim to have invented radio, which he really didn't. He used Tesla's patent and information. That's what I was going to say. He got his Nobel Prize in cheatery. Yep, he did. He got his Nobel Prize in cheatery. Uh, but uh, Tesla's lawsuit actually ended up failing, which is interesting because uh, years and years later, Marconi sued the U.S. federal government for patent infringement for the same patent. Uh, and after getting all the way up to the Supreme Court, the court ruled that not only did the government not infringe on the Marconi patent, but the Marconi patent did actually infringe on the Tesla original patent. Uh, unfortunately, Tesla had died like five months earlier. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So, well, at least it's, you know, out in the public right. ear. It would have been nice if he got that little bit of uh, retribution at the end, but, you know, we'll just have to enjoy it for him. A little <laughs> googly F you. Yes, a little googly F you. But uh, so obviously Nikola was uh, interested in wireless transmissions of power. We talked about that. Uh, but it actually started with light. He did kind of uh, these demonstrations where he would stand with gas-filled tubes, which he would essentially light up wirelessly from a nearby transformer. Like he would show his, his staff and they'd be like, oh, it's magic or whatever, some sort of trick. Like it was crazy because they weren't connected at all by like any wires. So like I said, he's quite the showman. That is uh, pretty good. He wowed a lot of crowds, but per usual, he wasn't really big on the figuring out how to commercialize it. Uh, though he was at least big on predicting like how it could be used in the future this time, right? He just didn't, you know, do anything with it at the time. But he moved from light to wireless transmission of power, uh, making predictions of millions of voltage across thousands of miles underground, on ground, through the air, various different ways. Experimented with various types of transformers. Obviously, he knew the bigger device that he could make would get him more power, but he was convinced that there was a perfect design that could do the same thing with a smaller device. So eventually, he found the right design with a flat spiral coil, and this is what we know today as... The 
Tesla coil. Yes, the Tesla coil. Yeah, I got one right. <laughs> so as per usual, Tesla was uh, working many aspects of his ideas at once, and he was convinced that his wireless technology could be used to control airplanes, boats, and missiles. Uh, to demonstrate this, he put on that demonstration for the crowd in Madison Square Garden. That was the boat thing. He had a large tank full of water with a boat. And to prove that there wasn't any trickery or there wasn't any sort of whatever version of pre-programming there was at the time, probably some sort of mechanical thing, uh, and that he was fully in control of the boat wirelessly, he had the audience ask questions, and he would answer by moving the boat left or right for whatever the answer was. It took a little longer than I think he anticipated, but that was there was more than just the actual wireless control of things and what we had to develop. But, I mean, it was the first kind of RF uh, model planes were in the 1930s, so, you know, roughly 20, 25 years, 30 years, somewhere in there from his demonstration did we have remote control airplanes. And 2000 was the first actual usage of a remote controlled drone by the CIA flown over Afghanistan. So, I mean, that's... It's amazing how far we've come. It is, absolutely. But uh, eventually this work got him $30,000 investment, uh, and he moved to Colorado Springs in 1899. He stayed for nine months working on wireless technology ideas uh, that kind of came to an abrupt end. We'll talk about in a second uh, because that is Tesla's life. It is it is a giant uh, dramatic dramatic event. Uh, yeah, it's a dramatic <laughs> event, but tragedy. There we go. He his life is a giant tragedy, <laughs> from one moment to the next. Always getting screwed over by people, never getting the money he should. Always having fires or whatever else like destroy his work or stop him or whatever. But so. While he's in Colorado Springs, apparently Colorado Springs has a really, really, really high amount of lightning storms, like one of the largest lightning strike counts uh, in the U.S. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I so, didn't realize there was like a place where yeah, you apparently. could go. <laughs> but so that was a good place for Tesla to go, and they lured him there with promise of all the free electricity uh, that he could use, which I thought they just meant by like, yeah, we have, we have a lightning storms. So you can just totally go harness that crap, whatever you want. <laughs> but apparently they had an AC generator that just came online, state of the art, uh, Tesla system that was providing power to all of Colorado Springs. So they were like, yeah, go ahead and use all the power you want, whatever. I feel like that was probably a mistake to tell somebody like Tesla, but they did. And he said, cool, let's do it. <laughs> Probably not in those words. But uh, so he got there and he was studying lightning and he was studying the earth. Uh, and he became convinced that the earth was charged to a high potential and could maintain uh, a voltage, essentially. Uh, basically, the earth was a was a big conductor of electricity. That's an interesting theory. Uh, I mean, it's not wrong. Uh, how much of a conductor it is is debatable. And I don't think he was right. But I mean, it, it essentially is is accurate. Uh, but well, you know, it's hard to come to conclusions when you have to work with Igor and lightning strikes in the lab. This is true. <laughs> but uh, to him, what this meant was that you could send messages any distance without wires, transmit power without loss, and even increase that power with distance from the source if you sent it through the earth. Uh, this is where his ideas get a little kooky. Uh, so, <laughs> but we already knew he was kooky. <laughs> yeah. It just can't he, hold it in any longer. Yeah, he was always kooky, but like his stuff always panned out for the most part outside of that whole uh, projecting his visual imagery from his eyeball to a wall or something that one didn't pan out but you know everything else for the most part he was he was on par with when people told him he was nutso and it wasn't possible so 
you know, why wouldn't we believe this, right? But so while doing his experiment on these things, uh, he created a large transmitter and charged it up and was kind of watching as it generated electrical strikes and it was just getting bigger and bigger. It got out to something like 130, 135 feet, these giant arcs of electricity from this top of this transmitter that he had sticking out of his, his facility here. That uh, sounds dangerous. Yes. Uh, and then the power went out. Oh, no. <laughs> and he was apparently all ready to totally go yell at the company about cutting off his power when he noticed that not only was his power out, but all of Colorado Springs' power was out. Uh, he broke it. He did break it. His, apparent, his experiment caused a citywide blackout, knocked out the power plant's AC generator by knocking it offline. And oh, yeah, also it's on fire. Oh, no. <laughs> That's going to take a uh, while to fix. So Colorado Springs was not happy about this. Uh, At least he didn't set Colorado Springs on fire. Uh, it could have happened. But uh, I think this was kind of where everybody has decided that he has overstayed his welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this was all in that nine-month period? Yes. This oh, is man. why it only lasted nine months. But So the, the city's way of telling him that it was time to leave was, remember all that electricity that he got for free? Nope. They no. sent him a bill for it. Oh, no. <laughs> Did he actually pay it? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, that was just more of if you're going to stay here, you need to pay this. Uh, but, you know, he got a lot of funding back then. This was in his, his prime period of getting funding. So it's possible he, he paid for it. And I probably hope he paid the, for it in pennies. Right. <laughs> probably the repair of the generator, too, <laughs> that he got on fire. Uh, so back to New York, right? He's done in Colorado Springs, so might as well go back home uh, or U.S. home since his home isn't in, in the United States. but uh, So early 1900s, 200 acres near Long Island and $150,000 of seed money from J.P. Morgan. $150,000? $150,000. That's a lot of money. Yes, from J.P. Morgan. Not the bank J.P. Morgan, like the J.P. Morgan. The man? the bank is from. Because <laughs> apparently he was alive at that time. Uh, the man himself. Rich. Yes, yes. That's why he was able to have a financial institution with his name on it. Tesla began working on the facility and the tower known as Wardenclyffe. You ever heard of that one? No. Are you pronouncing it correctly? Uh, I'm about 98% sure. <laughs> <laughs> this one I have actually heard pronounced. So if I am pronouncing it wrong, it's totally all those other people's fault. Uh, but it's also, I don't think, an English word. But anyways, the tower itself was going to be, or actually ended up being about 187 feet. Uh, kind of have a spherical terminal on the top of it, which was 68 feet in diameter. It's kind of like a semicircle, or a semi-sphere, I should say. Uh, people contracted to build it were not convinced that this giant wooden structure topped with essentially a giant wind sail was going to stay standing. Uh, so they converted the wood to metal, which of course increased the cost of it substantially. Ward you can electrocute everyone. Yes. So Warden, Warden Cliffs was to be the site of his uh, world wireless system. The idea was simple uh, in concept, complex in actually doing it. Uh, much like pumping pressure into a spherical ball and having all points along that sphere kind of feeling that pressure increase equally, right? Like you're blowing up a, like a beach ball or something. Mm -hmm. You figured you could also oscillate energy into the earth and have any point on earth pull it free uh, that every every aspect everything on the surface of earth would feel that oscillation equally 
Uh, and there was even an example of an idea of literally just pushing a wire into the ground and providing power for light. <laughs> Interesting. They do that in the Prestige. Yes. Yes. Well, the Prestige <laughs> is based off of Tesla's stuff, right? So uh, kind of the important aspects behind the world wireless system were the kind of the, the inventions and the discoveries of Tesla. So there was the Tesla Transformer, which generates electrical vibration with currents uh, stronger than what you can generate with any uh, conventional method uh, and that's what makes those sparks overhead of like hundreds of feet long uh, and then the magnifying transmitter uh, which I'm not sure is an actual invention uh, when I read later on about more stuff as opposed to just something that he thinks would work but essentially it's specially designed to transmit energy through the earth but we'll learn more about that when when we talk later about matter and energy I'm really disappointed it sounded like it was going to take someone from somewhere and magnify him to somewhere else like uh charlie in the chocolate factory i'm they, they... don't think magnifying means what you think it means <laughs> like magnify like make it bigger so you're gonna make someone bigger to somewhere else yeah you're gonna send them somewhere else and then they'll be bigger through the through the machine like a transporter like a transporter that magnifies a magnifying transporter so, so like in star trek you get in the transporter and you beam down only you're 10 times bigger yes <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's not that. Uh, <laughs> Disappointed, Chris. Yes. Disappointed. So, of course, then there's the, the Tesla wireless system, uh, which was the means of transmitting without wires, which he developed. Uh, Do and we still then, use that the same way? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, for the most part, it's the same same methodology, I guess, same basic principles. Uh, and then what he called the art of individualization which is essentially an invention that makes these signals non-interferable and non-interfering, right? So I don't know how much you know about signals, but if Not you much. send signals across to each other, they add, they they work with each other. They can amplify each other or cancel each other out or All right, whatever, that makes sense. you know what I'm saying? So they, they wanted, he wanted to prevent them from being interfered with. So, so don't cross the streams? Yeah, well, it's not don't cross them. It's essentially making it to where your receivers can pull out specific signals and your transmitters aren't jammed by other signals, etc. I mean, this was a legitimate uh, development and has actually really played a part in World War One. Uh, when we started using those stuff so that people's signals weren't being uh, as easily picked up by, you know, enemy. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. But anyways, that was basically the main idea behind this. This this idea is a little wacko, um, as, as you picked up on. Uh, a lot of claims about the feasibility of this idea. Uh, Tesla claimed that he was able to receive power at a distance of 10 miles. Uh, one of the Tesla biographers, I can't remember which one, but claimed that he was able to light 100 lights 26 miles away through this method. Uh, some claim he had a misunderstanding of the conductance of the earth and the atmosphere and the loss of energy involved, which is what I kind of tend to agree with. But I've not seen any definitive work that, you know, I have not personally seen it anyways that disproves it. I'm sure there's probably something out there. But, Let's go stick some wires right, in the ground. Right. But I will say that the system doesn't exist currently. And given the amount of cost savings it would provide any power company that was able to do this, uh, the fact that it doesn't exist means that it's probably not a thing. <laughs> but anyways, the combination of the loss of funding for his crazy and ever more expensive ideas, because this thing was just becoming more and more expensive and uh jp morgan was like you know i keep pumping out money for this and i'm not really seeing how i'm gonna make money on this free energy scheme essentially we've got <laughs> going on here uh so he kind of stopped funding it 
Uh, and of course, the world became fascinated with Marconi's uh, transmission of the letter S. And uh, a lot of his royalties from his patents early on with Westinghouse expired in 1905, the ones that he didn't directly sell out uh, to Westinghouse, uh, which resulted in pretty much no income for him. Poor uh, guy. And so that was kind of the end of this facility. And it stuck around until 1917. I've read two conflicting stories. One of them was that the... Uh, the people who owned the grounds that were letting Tesla use it was awarded this facility back and they ended up uh, blowing it up and basically scrapping all the metal and stuff. The story that I like, however, which there is a newspaper article claiming this that I found, uh, says that the U.S. blew up the tower in 1917 because they feared that German spies were using it to communicate with Germany from the U.S. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Did they hear it in their teeth? They heard it in their teeth. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay, good. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the end of that section. Uh, that was pretty interesting stuff we learned. You know, we talked about Edison and Tesla, but the next big thing we get to is Tesla takes on Einstein. Didn't he already take on Einstein? No. When did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> we haven't actually talked at all about Einstein. It's because Edison and Einstein both start with E and my brain went whoop. Yep, they are definitely not the same person. So Edison <laughs> was about, I think, 15 years older, maybe 20 years older. Uh, don't quote me on that. I have to look at that. He was, he was quite a bit older than Tesla, but Tesla was about 23 years older than Einstein. So Interesting. Yes. Interesting kind of financial information uh, with Tesla through all this time period. So he got all these different, uh, this money essentially ceded to him from different people. Uh, but besides his horrible ability to manage money, uh, after a few hard years in late or 1890s, Westinghouse uh, asked if he could remove the royalty part of the contract uh, for a one-time large buyout. And Nikola being kind of a not really caring person about financials he loved spending it but you know as far as ensuring that he would continue to have some <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> greedy by that nature he just spent what he had but he he, he essentially uh, agreed to sell out uh, what eventually ended up costing him millions of dollars over the course of the remainder of his life for these uh, patent royalties to Westinghouse uh, and as time went on investors and backers couldn't see any further financial gain in his work including the wireless radio stuff and began to pull their funding including JP Morgan and in the end he was pretty much completely broke save for a small stipend from the Yugoslavian government which I have yet to figure out why he was getting <laughs> that's a really good question yes it was it was just enough to cover his monthly like basic housing stuff or basic living stuff right and then he lived in the New Yorker Hotel for the last probably 15 years, 20 years maybe, probably 15 years of his life. Uh, but that hotel room and everything was paid for by Westinghouse. Oh, so that, was nice that was nice of him. I thought that was kind of like, wow, I realized I screwed you out of these things and that's why you don't have any money. Let me at least cover your house <laughs> or, your, or, your, or your hotel, I guess, which is probably more <laughs> expensive than a house. But but yeah, so that's uh, that's where we're up on Tesla. And we'll come back next week with uh, more awesome information. We'll talk about his taking on uh, Einstein. We'll kind of talk about his legacy. And we'll get a little bit into the conspiracy theories behind Ooh. some of the stuff with Tesla, which jumps into, like, The Prestige is really a good movie to kind of talk about 
some of that stuff. Maybe we'll watch it again before we record the next one. Sweet. So uh, part three of part two. Yes, this will be the third part of our two-part installation of Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you all have a wonderful week. Bye. Well, that was part two of our two-part special on Nikola Tesla. Stay tuned next week where we'll bring you part three of our two-part special on Nikola Tesla. Tesla versus Einstein. Originally, I was going to include some in-depth stuff on a lot of the conspiracy theory stuff that surrounds Tesla, but I've decided to do something different with that information. So make sure you listen in next week to get that info. Also, for those of you following on Twitter, at Physicist Chris, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash dash of science, you'll probably see that I was running an awesome swag giveaway. I asked people to come up with a better name for Space Force. The winner was going to get a Dash of Science sticker, a NASA sticker, and a Sierra Nevada Dream Chaser sticker, along with an awesome NASA coin of my choosing. Originally, I intended this to be more serious, but honestly, there are just too many hilarious ones out there. So I've decided to do a top serious one and a top hilarious entry, uh, and then send both of them sweet swag. Also, going to name a few honorable mentions who will get just the sticker sets, but uh, first, I guess let's get on with the honorable mentions. First up, we have Cosmic Ninjas, which when you throw a ninja into something, I just love it. So that was a good one. Uh, good good uh, coming up with a great, hilarious name. Uh, second, we have Galactic Knights Who Say Knee. Gotta love the Monty Python reference. Uh, that's amazing. And I actually kind of wish that that's what we were going with for uh, the main winner. But there was one that was better. Uh, but lastly, as an honorable mention, we have the Mobile Infantry, which I have to include both because of the awesome reference to Starship Troopers, which is a movie that I love, uh, but also because several people liked it and, well, I just thought it should be in here. But anyways, now for the grand prize. In the serious category, we have Space Defense Force. Yeah, I know, a bit anticlimactic. Uh, but I really didn't get very many serious answers, so it's kind of your guys' fault. Uh, now for my personal favorite, the best of the hilarious entries. Drum roll, please. Uh, actually, I don't have any drums, and it's 1 a.m., and I'm a little lazy, and I'm not going to edit any in. But uh, anyways, number one hilarious entry, Defense Uniformed Military Air and Space Services. Why is that hilarious? Well... It's short for dumbass. (laughs) I love this one not just because of the acronym, but for anyone who has ever been in the military or worked with the military, this naming convention is totally on par. I would absolutely believe this uh, would be an acronym in the military, uh, which makes the acronym even more hilarious for me. So that's it. That's the grand winners. Uh, If you're listening, send me your mailing address at chris at dashofscience.com. Uh, I'll also reach out to you on the various social media accounts in which you submitted your uh, entries, and I'll get you guys your stuff. Uh, That's all for now. Remember, subscribe and leave reviews. It really helps out the podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and as always, live, learn, build.
A Dash of Science was written and produced by Five Hertz Labs in association with Dammit Chippy Productions. Show music was written and produced by Ghost Tube Productions.